What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 67 of the 2QB Experience. I'm your host. My name is Greg Smith. You can find all my stuff at 2QBs. You can hit me up on Twitter, at Greg Sauce. On the line, we got a, a 2QBs OG, Ben Cummins, at Ben Cummins FF on Twitter, of the Fantasy Footballers DFS podcast, the Fantasy Football Authority podcast, Draft Day Consultants, a bunch of other stuff. Ben, how you doing, man? Welcome back. Greg, man, what's going on? Always love talking with you. Um, you know, we got to meet and uh, I think we touched on it when I came on in the preseason in Nashville in January. Uh, we had a blast and uh, always enjoy talking football with you, all the two quarterback stuff that I've done in the past. And uh, yeah, let's let's kill it. Uh, I think this is the perfect time um, because as some of you may know, I do love me some DFS and FanDuel just incorporated a new fun two quarterbacks DFS, which if you have not checked out yet, you absolutely have to. It's very fun. No kicker in defense, so you don't have to, uh, you know, tilt about those positions. And yeah, I'm excited to talk about this championship week for most people, and for this and this new DFS, uh, this new DFS game on Fanduel. Yeah. So just as a disclaimer to the listeners up front here, we are going to talk a lot about DFS on this podcast. And if you're one of the few people who managed to make it to your you know, a championship in your seasonal league. Congratulations to you, first of all. Awesome work, and that's that's really great. And we're going to try to help you out as well. But because, you know, 90% of people don't make the fantasy championship in their leagues, like just based on raw numbers, uh, we do want to dive in a little deeper on DFS. This is the time of year where a lot of people are shifting their sights towards those daily contests. And that's why I wanted to have Ben on, because he's, he's very familiar with the DFS mind frame and, and all that stuff. Uh, but before we get there, we do need to touch on just some news and notes from week 15. Uh, the biggest developments for two quarterback leagues, I'm actually going to start this off with wide receiver news. Antonio Brown, partially torn calf. What does this mean for Ben Rath- Roethlisberger, Ben? Yeah, this sucks, obviously. I mean, Antonio Brown, to me, is the best wide receiver in the game. Um, and so when you take him off the field, this is obviously going to hurt Ben Roethlisberger. Um, but looking at this from a two quarterbacks point of view, if, you know, like you touched on, if you did make it to the championship, congratulations. And I, I think that, uh, the matchup is still good enough to where, unless you have a fantastic third option, you're probably still going to play him. Even though Antonio Brown's out, the Texans are middle of the pack in pass DVOA. They've given up the sixth most passing yards on the year, the 13th most passing yards over the past five weeks. And Ben Roethlisberger's quarterback seven on the season, according to fantasy data for just kind of like standard scoring. So um, I think you're still going to play him. But I think when you take Antonio Brown off the field, uh, we'll get into all this DFS stuff. Uh, you know, you're looking for safety and cash. But you still want that upside even in cash to make sure that you are going to double your money. And in tournaments, that's what you want is that upside. And taking Antonio Brown off the field really pretty much takes Ben Roethlisberger out of even consideration for me in DFS this week. Yeah, it's really weird because it's not like we have any data on him without Brown either. He hasn't played a game without Antonio Brown since 2012. and. That, that's mind-boggling to me in and of itself, the fact that Brown has been able to stay that healthy for that long, and it's a big loss. Uh, we're, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm with you in terms of DFS, getting rid of Ben Roethlisberger from my you know line of consideration, but in yearly leagues, if you made it this far and he's your QB, I, really, I have a hard time imagining that you would have a better option on your bench than Roethlisberger, even without Brown. Um, I think that Le'Veon Bell could still carry the day there for him, and, and you know that because... 
the running back is going to be involved in the passing game that, you know, maybe Ben just gets a little less volume overall, but still plenty of volume through those, those checkdowns, those screens and, and whatnot. But I, I'm fascinated to see what happens because like I said, we haven't seen him without Brown basically ever. It's, it's pretty incredible. Let's move to your team, Ben, the Denver Broncos. Uh, Trevor Semyon dislocated his shoulder. He's going to go to the IR. Brock Osweiler in Week 16, Paxton Lynch, do we even care? What, what are we doing here? Yeah, I think this is how bad of a year it's been for uh, my Denver Broncos. I think remarkably enough, uh, owners of Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders, if uh, you know, still considering rolling him out, you're hoping that Brock Osweiler gets the start. And that is crazy to say. But uh, Paxton Lynch is just absolutely garbage. Um, I don't care that we haven't seen a ton. It's not like a huge sample size. I, I think I've watched enough. He is trash. And it's just a, a thrown away first round pick. Brock Osweiler, crazy enough on top of all that, comes in and actually looks pretty good last week. Granted, against a very, very, very bad Colts, uh, you know, banged up pass defense. But um, I think that we should care, as crazy as that is, and you should want Brock Osweiler um, because that at least makes DT and Emmanuel Sanders relevant in redraft still I literally would not play them at all in in any format if Paxton Lynch was the quarterback and uh even if Osweiler starts and he looked okay last week in DFS because they're on the main slate and we have so many teams that are playing I'm not considering DT or Emmanuel Sanders at all no matter who the quarterback is you can make a volume argument for Demarius Thomas but there are just so many other options that I'm just going to cross the Broncos offense off my list because there's so many other good offenses that I want to get exposure to. And that's just how I play DFS. And I think that you probably should is, you know, find a contrarian wide receiver that plays with a good quarterback, not the complete opposite. Yeah, I like that. Now, if we're turning our eyes towards next season, is it safe for dynasty owners to assume that Chad Kelly is going to get a shot at some point? Yeah, it's all going to depend on what happens this offseason. John Elway, please draft Baker Mayfield, find a way. Uh, but if the Broncos don't land a top talent in the draft, then, yeah, I think it's it's very safe to assume that Chad, Chad Kelly will get his chance because the three quarterbacks on the roster right now, none of them are the answer. And I think it's blatantly obvious that none of them are the answer. So Chad Kelly should be healthy next year, should be ready to rock, should have a year um, with the team. And yeah, it, I would be shocked if they don't make a significant addition in the offseason if Chad Kelly did not get his chance. So hold on to those shares and pray that uh, he hits in a big way um, out of nowhere. I guess it wouldn't really be out of nowhere because he had good good numbers in college. It was just injuries and definitely some scary off the field issues. But uh, hopefully he can mature and uh, put it together on the field. Yeah, I know that Sigmund Bloom from Football Guys was a big fan of Chad Kelly coming out, uh, just based on football ability and talent and all that good stuff. Another guy that he liked uh, coming into the season was Deshaun Kaiser, not quite as much as Deshaun Watson, but he was at least intrigued by Kaiser. I remember listening to his podcast and kind of getting the download on Kaiser from that point of view, and it hasn't really worked out for him and the Browns. I think a lot of it has to do with probably Hugh Jackson mishandling that situation. Uh, we're... Not quite sure at this point. Uh, Jackson has been noncommittal on who's going to start for the Browns going forward here in Week 16 and Week 17. I have a similar kind of question for you as, as I did with the Broncos. Do we even really care if it's Deshaun Kaiser, Cody Kessler, or Kevin Hogan under center for Cleveland? Yeah, this one I don't really think that we need to care. And um, if you are in the championship in two quarterback leagues, I'm hoping that you have better options than Kaiser. 
And that's because Kaiser has been bad. He's has nine touchdowns, uh, nine pass touchdowns to 19 interceptions on the year. His yards per attempt is only at 5.8 yards. Not very good. And it, it's really very likely that neither Cody Kessler or Hogan are the answers either. So I don't really think that it matters because if you're playing a Browns pass catcher, you're banking on volume regardless of who it is because the quality of targets are probably going to be pretty poor no matter who it is. Um, you're just banking on that volume with somebody like Josh Gordon and hoping that he turns it into a touchdown like he did a couple weeks ago. So if you own Josh Gordon or Duke Johnson, who, which quarterback do you want to see under center? Oh man. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I kind of like Cody Kessler. Um, I've always kind of liked him because I think that he has the ability to operate. The, he, he's not going to do anything flashy, but he has the ability to operate the offense, get those, get those, you know, the volume, the passes in volume to a guy like Josh Gordon, but it would be so hard to, to say that with confidence because Kaiser has been the quarterback basically all year. And you kind of want some familiarity going into a championship game when you have to trust somebody. So I like Kessler, but I guess I, I'll stick with the familiarity of Kaiser and just hope that it hits this week. Like it did a couple weeks ago against the Packers. Like we touched on what, what do you think there? No, I agree with you. I, I want to see the continuity. I want Kaiser in there also because he, he can push the ball downfield a little bit better than Kessler. Yeah. And if I'm playing a guy like Gordon, I want that ability for a big play. And Gordon's good enough to do that on you know shorter A-dot passes. But, yeah, I don't know. I think Kaiser's ability to extend plays with his legs, uh, he doesn't always make the best decisions. But uh, talent-wise, I think he has the tools that kind of unlock that ability for Josh Gordon and that upside for Josh Gordon more than anybody else. Now, Duke Johnson... That might be a different story. If, if I'm a Duke Johnson or I might rather see Kessler for, for more of those checkdowns, more of those dump offs. What do you think about that? Yeah, I agree with both of those points. Um, you know, like you said, Kaiser's got the arm and you just hope that it, it hits because Gordon has the upside and the ability. We know he does to, to catch one of those. And I completely agree with you on Kessler. Um, you know, we've, we've seen it with Christian McCaffrey. You know, he's, he's, He's getting the volume and he's turning it into production, but he has been hit or miss. And I think that if he played with a quarterback that looked to check the, the, the ball down more, that he could even have more upside. And that's what, that's the type of quarterback that Kessler is, is again, he's going to operate the offense and not do anything flashy. And what that means is if any pass rush comes at all, he's probably looking to hit Duke Johnson and that would help him uh, rack up those catches and, and probably have more upside. So pretty much on the same page with you there. Let's keep talking about bad quarterbacks. Let's go to Arizona now. Yes. Uh, Blaine Gabbert benched for Drew Stanton. Didn't really see this one coming necessarily because I, I don't think that we should have expected Gabbert to do very well in, in the matchup that they just had uh, in Washington. But I, I guess it kind of makes sense. I mean, Stanton was the guy who was there before. The only reason he lost the job was because he got hurt. Now that he's been reinstalled, how do you rank him this week compared to some of these other bad QBs we're talking about in Denver and Cleveland? Like, let's assume Kaiser's starting. Let's assume Osweiler's starting. Would you rather use Drew Stanton than one of those two guys? Yeah, this one's strange for me, too, because uh, Bruce Arians has had so many positive things to say about Gabbert. And the report came out that they wanted to extend him uh, before this past game. And I agree that, you know, you shouldn't have expected a, a, you know, a great game from from Gabbert on the road in that matchup. I believe it was. But, uh, yeah, I do like Drew Stanton better than those options. Um, and I'm somebody that puts a significant amount of importance into are you playing at home um, in a familiar you know stadium and things like that, or are you on the road? The Browns and the Broncos are both on the road. The Cardinals are at home, and Stanton has Bruce Arians, who I, I do like as an offensive mind. He has Larry Fitzgerald on his side. 
He gets a Giants defense that ranks eighth worst in pass DVOA. They've given up the second most passing yards on the season in the entire league. They've given up the most pass touchdowns in the league. And, of course, they just let our friend Nick Foles walk all over them last week. So even though Stanton um, is is in the same category as all these other quarterbacks, you know, he's not going to excite you. I think if you are stuck, um, I would prefer him out of all of those. And I do think that um, – for the salary that you can save, we can talk about Stanton as a sneaky, sneaky play in DFS as well. Yep, they uh, it, it's it's potentially an interesting stack with Eli Manning in these Superflex contests. Now, I don't want to buy too much into what Manning did, but he did it against the Eagles last week. I could see him doing something similar against the Cardinals. But for, for Stanton, I'm with you, man. The matchup there is the key differentiator. He gets to play the Giants, who have given up eight top 10 weeks and 12 top 20 weeks this season. Uh, both of those numbers rank among the league leaders in terms of defenses that you want your quarterbacks to be facing. Uh, 19.9 points per game. Uh, that's standard scoring, not necessarily FanDuel scoring, but that's first in the league. Like The, the Giants are just a cake matchup, and that's something that we can try to exploit. I, he's definitely my top choice from that group as well. I want to talk about Teddy Bridgewater, and not so much in the sense of, like, can we start Teddy Bridgewater? Is he a guy we want to own? Because he clearly isn't. He's definitely behind Case Keenum in that pecking order in Minnesota. But he did get some mop-up duty in that blowout of the Bengals in Week 15. He only threw two passes, one of which was an interception. So nothing to be excited about with, with Teddy Two Gloves. But my question for you, Ben, is about Case Keenum. And now that the Vikings are really on track to kind of lock up their playoff seed pretty quickly here... How much concern do you have that maybe Keenum is going to sit down again for you know protective reasons uh, in Week 16 against Green Bay, a team which after tonight could potentially be eliminated? Yeah, I think that we have to bring this up because I think that um, I would be very surprised if the Falcons lost to just a bad Buccaneers team tonight. And if the Falcons win, I believe the uh, Packers are officially eliminated from the playoffs. That's yeah, so it, it's not happening, and so I would be absolutely shocked if Aaron Rodgers played next week um, because you just you don't make that stupid of a decision when you have quite possibly, when it's all said and done, the best player ever. You're not going to throw him out there when he's not 100% healthy. Is, uh, I believe it's collarbone, right? It's not 100% healed yet, and it was positive. He was going to come out. He's going to give him a chance to make the playoffs. But now that they have no chance, you, there's no reason to risk him. So if, uh, if Hunley comes back in, you know, the Vikings are 11 and three on the season. They're one of the best teams in the league. And there is a chance that they do win significantly against the Packers. Um, if Rodgers is not the quarterback and we could see something similar happen, but because this game is in Green Bay, Last week it was in Minnesota and they were playing just an atrocious Bengals team that's completely mailed it in. I don't think it was surprising at all that that was a blowout. I expected that. Because this game's in Green Bay, I think it should be close enough to where Keenum is probably not going to get taken out. Although, again, I think it's something that should we need to address at least so people are aware of it. And even if he does get pulled out, there's a good chance that he puts up Enough, solid enough numbers before he gets taken out to where it doesn't even matter either. So I think this is something worth talking about. But if you are in the in the championship, I don't I don't think you get too cute, and I I still think you start Keenum even with that concern, unless again you have three fantastic options, which probably is not the case. Yeah, I'm with you on that absolutely. I think that you leave Keenum in your lineup if unless you have just significantly better options in and of themselves, you got to play play Keenum. And just hope that they don't take him out until late in the game. I mean, again, Bridgewater only threw two passes last week. Keenum had a fine fantasy day. 
it's more of a concern for me in DFS where, you know, you need as much ceiling as you can get and the potential to be sat down in the second half just because your team is too good. That's that's a legitimate concern for me in daily fantasy. Is he somebody who you might avoid more because of that in DFS? Yeah, so this is interesting because uh, we also should throw it back to the Ben Roethlisberger conversation as well because I'm looking at the matchups and it is a pretty uh, interesting week because we have two Saturday games and we have two Monday games and Big Ben is on the Monday slate where you've got the Texans quarterback, you've got Derek Carr who has struggled mightily this year, and you've got you know the the streamer champion of the year, Nick Foles. So if you're not playing Foles, which I think is another good play, you probably are playing Ben Roethlisberger. So because uh, if you're playing that game, most of the contests that you're playing in are probably just going to be those two games. Ben Roethlisberger is still in play, even though again I'm probably leaning Foles. Because of uh, because Antonio Brown being out, but similar conversation here with Case Keenum because he's on the two game Saturday slate, and I don't expect Aaron Rodgers to play, which means the other quarterbacks on that slate are going to be Hundley, Joe Flacco, and Jacoby Brissett. So because of that, I think that this is again something that needs to be considered. If he was on the main slate, I would 100% say just don't even worry about it. But if you are playing in a uh, Monday to Saturday, and by the time you listen to this, you you know you're feeling good about your plays on Monday night or just a Saturday uh, two game slate. I think uh, just looking at this kind of right off the top of my head, Keenum would still be my number one play out of those four guys. Although Flacco's at home, and again we touched on if the Colts can allow Brock Osweiler to look like a good quarterback, then they can definitely do that with Joe Flacco, who actually has started to slowly come alive the last couple of weeks. So he's in play as well. Yeah, so it is worth noting that FanDuel does have one slate that takes the night game, that Minnesota Green Bay game from Saturday, and lumps it in with all the games from Sunday. Keep that in mind as you're building these lineups. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Ben. I think if you have the option of using guys other than Keenum from you know the main Sunday slate, then you probably just want to go that route and not even worry about uh, a guy who could potentially get benched. Let's talk about the Cowboys. Ezekiel Elliott set to return from suspension. How does he impact Dak Prescott's value in Week 16? Yeah, so this was uh, a, a call that I got dead wrong because I am huge in DFS. It takes your obsession of injuries to the to another level because you have to stay on top of every injury because, of course, there's a domino effect and not not 100% of your competition competition is not paying attention to all these injuries. And so that's where you can get a leg up. And when Ezekiel Elliott got suspended, I'm sitting there like, all right, upgrade uh, uh, Dez, upgrade Dak, because now this is Dak's team. I believe Dak's a good quarterback and all that jazz. And it did not go that way at all. It went the complete other way. And so shockingly, with Zeke returning, I think that we have to say that that improves the outlook of Dak. Now, it's somewhat a small sample, but in oh, so far this season, Dak has played eight games with Zeke and five without. And his numbers per game with Zeke in the lineup, he's thrown 0.5 fewer interceptions per game. He's thrown one more touchdown pass per game, 0.72 more pass yards per attempt, and 38.2 more passing yards. So, you know, Alfred Morris was able to be a pretty good stopgap, but we know Zeke, um, you know, we know the type of player Zeke is. We know that that's the blueprint, blueprint that Dallas wants to have. And if they're able to have success with Zeke, we've seen over the last two years that 
that does help Dak and improve his fantasy potential, even though it doesn't really seem to make sense when you talk about it out loud. It just improves the entire offense, and that helps Dak be more efficient, which I think is what has allowed him to have so much success on top of the fact that, you know, they're getting down closer to the goal line more. Now he has an opportunity to score more rushing touchdowns, which, of course, is where that really gives Dak his his upside. So I think this helps him, and he gets a matchup against the Seahawks defense where he gets to play at home. And, of course, we know the Seahawks are without Sherman. They're without Cam Chancellor. So this secondary is vulnerable. And even though he, you know, he did stink last week, unfortunately, in a great matchup against the Raiders, I think Dak is in play this week. And if you do have a decision to make there, I do think – that, uh, of course, it always is going to come down to your other options. But I do think he's in play, and I, I don't think that you have to shy away from him because I do think Zeke returning helps, as, as crazy as it is to say. And what's really interesting to me is that Zeke should also help Dez and Jason Witten, two guys that I was expecting to get better when Zeke was gone because the Cowboys would have to throw and use those guys more. But I was digging around on the Rotoviz Game Splits app earlier today, and both Dez and Jason Witten have more fantasy points per game, more targets per game, more catches per game, more yards per game, uh, more touchdowns per game when Elliott is on the field this season. And that's just insane to me. So I think this is kind of an arrow up situation for everybody in that Dallas offense. And like you said, the matchup this week is, is pretty interesting uh, against the Seahawks. And that's something we can talk about more in a bit. But let's round out our Week 15 analysis with our awards. We have a, a QB boom of the week and a QB bust of the week. Start off with the boom. Who was the quarterback who outperformed your expectations the most in Week 15, Ben? So Nick Foles and Blake Bortles were obvious pleasant surprises. I, you know, I think we knew that they had good matchups, yep. but I did not see either one of them finishing the top five at the position. So, so they have to be mentioned. But my real answer here, and I've said his name already, it has to be Brock Osweiler because he did not even start the game <laughs> at all, and he still finished as the quarterback four on the week. So I think, again, it just goes to show how bad the Colts' pass defense is and how much they're limping towards the end of this season. But, you know, Osweiler did look good on some throws, too. Um, 12 of 17 on completions uh, for 194 yards, two touchdowns, and, of course, that, uh, I think, like, 17 or 18-yard rush touchdown where I think he took, like, two steps. So, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, have to, I have to go there. Because Osweiler comes in, and I'm just thinking, oh, great, here we go. I cannot escape this guy. And it was actually kind of fun watching him, which I can't believe I just said. It's interesting how, and you see this with other teams too, and, and this where you see the, the starting quarterback get hurt, and, and we know the starting quarterback is maybe not so good, a guy like Trevor Simeon, but then the backup comes in, who in theory should be worse, right? They're the backup. But for whatever reason, they tend to have more success. And I want, I think this might give some credence to, you know, those, those coaching maneuvers in the middle of the week where they try to hide who's healthy and hide who's going to start because they don't want teams to be able to game plan. Like, do you think that there was some, you know, fluke of this particular matchup that allowed, you know, a team unprepared for Brock Osweiler to give up so much production to him? Or is this just kind of a weird outlier that, that we can kind of chalk up to variant? Um, it's probably an outlier, but I think that that's a, a more philosophical kind of uh, general point that is interesting to bring up that, uh, you know, like you said, you, you spend a whole week preparing for one guy. And, um, you know, if you are a good coaching staff, you should be preparing for certain tendencies, whether, hey, we notice that, 
you know, he, he taps the center's butt right before he's going to get the ball or, you know, his cadence gets louder right before he's going to get the ball. Like, you know, you should be studying things like that and should be giving those notes to your players. And, you know, maybe it's not a huge edge, but somebody, another quarterback comes in and it's like, oh, great. We didn't prepare for him because we didn't think we were going to see him. And, you know, maybe there's a, a few um, edges that can be had. It's tough because I don't know how we would be able to take advantage of that because, of course, we can't. Yeah. We, we, you know, we can't predict, oh, I'm playing Brock Osweiler in a tournament because I think Simeon's going to hurt his shoulder. But uh, it is fascinating. I mean, the only exception is if you want to throw Joe Webb out there in the snow game in Buffalo, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, boom. <laughs> <laughs> so my boom of the week, uh, I'm going to give a quick honorable mention to Joe Flacco at Cleveland. Uh, QB8, about 22 fantasy points. I talked last week about believing in this matchup versus Cleveland after Brett Hundley torched them in Week 14. But, I mean, Joe Flacco going nuts against them is just further evidence that we want to start basically any quarterback against the Browns, and, and I'll have more on that later. But for me, the boom of the week was Eli Manning uh, going against Philly. I thought Philly's defense was good. What do you think happened there? Yeah, I uh, Philly's defense is pretty good. That It was a very strange game. Um, I think that we know that um, on their defense, if they do have a weakness, it is their secondary, their, their cornerback play. Although Ronald Darby has come back from injury and has looked pretty good back there. So I do think that the Eagles are, are one of the best defenses in the league, and I, I think this is probably just going to be an outlier because Eli has struggled, of course, missing a lot of his weapons. Um, and it just seemed to be one of those games. They, they stormed out to the early lead and then ended up giving it all back. And uh, especially on the Sterling Shepard touchdown, it just seemed like bad hustle and bad missed tackles. And you're going to get some of that at some point throughout the season in a, uh, you know, two, in about, in three, four month season with 16 games. So, uh, somewhat of an outlier there. Um, I think that we can confidently continue to say that the Eagles are one of the best defenses. Um, and yeah, somewhat of an outlier. What, what do you, do you have any other thoughts there on that one? No, I honestly don't know. And it's, it's, it's almost like th these are the types of games that make me want to take a stroll down narrative street. You know, like you look at the Giants playing the Eagles, divisional game, and two teams that r really kind of regardless of the standings and the state of their different franchises at this point in the season, they really just want to beat each other. And, and I think that that can amp up a team like the Giants. I think we saw this with uh, Jay Cutler and the Dolphins against New England a couple weeks ago. These divisional matchups where, you know, I think, you know, sometimes we don't always see a team's best. And in this case, we did see the best of what the Giants had to offer. You know, Eli Manning was back under center for the second week in a row after kind of being disrespected, you know, by the coaching staff there. Uh, I, I think that, you know, he had something to prove. The team had something to prove against their division opponents. And yeah, I don't know if we're going to see this replicated again, but it, it was interesting. And, and it definitely surprised me because I like the Philly defense and I don't like Eli Manning. So I thought this was a perfect spot to avoid him. And he went crazy. So, I mean, kudos to him. He, he proved me wrong. And that's why he's my boom of the week. Yeah, and it, it is a very interesting point because there has been a, there's a lot of talk out there about how you kind of want to fade the second game between division divisional opponents because they've already seen them this this year. They know a lot about them. They know their tendencies and things like that. And so a lot of times those games can be um you know lower scoring, but I think that the point that we may have just uncovered is when the expectations are really high in a second divisional game on the year, 
you you probably want to fade that, especially in DFS, if you think that you know the court somebody's going to be really high owned. But if the expe- if there really are no expectations, like for Jay Cutler and like Eli Manning in these second divisional games, then maybe that's where you hop on the train because of like you said that motivation that oh our season's over, but we're playing the Eagles, and so you know this game matters a lot. We want to get this this victory because we play them twice every season and because we know them. So maybe don't. Uh, don't uh, give into groupthink in the second divisional game, but if nobody's on it and you can kind of read into that narrative street like you're talking about, then it can be a sneaky play there. I think there's a flip side to that coin as well, where we've talked about this from the Giants' perspective, but if you think about it from the Eagles' perspective, they probably looked at this game, they looked at the Giants' record, they looked at how many people the Giants are missing, especially on offense. You know, Eldell Beckham's out, Brandon Marshall's out. And they might have come into this game just expecting to, to roll right through. No big deal. You know, we're just going to take care of business. So we, won't, we don't have to prepare quite as much or or practice quite as hard. Now, I'm not saying that's what happened because I have a feeling these guys tend to take their jobs very seriously week to week. But it just, you know, maybe in the back of their minds, whether maybe even subconscious to some extent where, you know, they didn't take this matchup as seriously as maybe they should have or they needed to. And that's how we can see the results of an Eli Manning overperformance. But yeah, I, I think that outlier is is got to be just kind of the first thing that comes to our minds when we see something like this. But I mean, we've seen Eli have big games like this before, especially against you know negative expectations. And I'm curious to see how he finishes out the year because he's kind of playing for that next phase of his career. You know, what, what where he's going to go next year. Let's talk about the bust of the week. For me, I have to go with Philip Rivers uh, at Kansas City. QB 26, uh, only about seven fantasy points. Do we need to start? fearing the Kansas City defense once again, at least when they are playing in Arrowhead, because this seemed like a good spot for Rivers based upon how Kansas City's defense had performed previously. Yeah, this is a tough one because I have uh, I've been to Arrowhead and I have seen firsthand that it is a very tough place to play. The Kansas City Chiefs fans are very good. I mean, I, I truly think it's one of the toughest places to play in the NFL. But and I was actually having this conversation with the buddy where I said that I'm like, but their defense is so bad this year that I think that you have to just uh, expect the the Chargers offense to roll. And that is not what happened. Um, cr- pretty crazy second half there. I think the Chargers were up 13 to 10. And then it was basically all the Chiefs after that. So um, I do. And this is where I, yeah, I said earlier, I do take um, into account where a game is being played. So the Chiefs' pass defense has been pretty bad this year, uh, really bad this year, actually. But bec- when they are at home, that should help them a little bit more. And so maybe, you know, not um, not thinking that a quarterback's just going to blow up in that spot because it is a tough place to play. But I don't think that the game being in, a, in, in Arrowhead because of how – Really bad their pass defense has been for the most of the year. Losing Eric Berry in week one is hurt, obviously. Uh, I don't think that's – if the game's in Arrowhead, that's not a reason to shy off of it. But, it again, it goes back to the DFS conversation where that is – that can be a, um, a piece of the puzzle where you say everything else makes sense. But because it's in Arrowhead, I think that that limits upside a little bit more. So let me go get this guy that I like in a similar spot, but he's at home and might even be a little bit lower owned or something like that. Yeah, good deal. And this actually fits that narrative you were talking about earlier about fading guys in their second divisional matchup, right? Second time Rivers is facing the Chiefs. Maybe that was another reason why we should have avoided him. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. and in co- correlating with that, I think I, I haven't I haven't I don't know this for sure, but it was week 15, so I'm guessing the Seahawks played the Rams for the second time this week, and it's the exact same thing that happened to Russell Wilson, who is my underperformer of the week. And uh, you know, we started the conversation with that Dolphins Patriots game, and it was the same thing with Tom Brady. So again, that whole you know the studs who a lot of people are going to be on, especially in DFS, maybe that's where you fade them in the second divisional game because Russell Wilson has to be my underperformer here. I mean, he was my pick for MVP coming into this week. Um, I've always been a huge fan and he has just played lights out all year carrying a team that really isn't all that great because they don't really have a running game. And they've been somewhat decimated with injuries on that defense. Like we already talked about, but at home in a game, in a good fantasy game, I, I, I like to say that when the over-under is pretty high and I feel like there's going to be a lot of points scored on both sides of the ball, and it just didn't happen for Seattle. He finished as quarterback 21, only 142 passing yards, one touchdown, 39 rush yards. Jimmy Graham lays a second egg in a row, which hurt me in DFS. So uh, that it was disappointing to see because I have a lot higher expectations for Russell Wilson. And I imagine he uh, probably cost a lot of people – especially in two quarterback leagues, a chance to get to the championship game, unfortunately. Yeah, it was a pretty brutal performance from a guy that kind of seemed like a world beater up to that point. Like, matchups be damned, he was a guy who you could kind of count on week in and week out. Uh, And, I mean, a lot of people were saying the same sort of thing about Aaron Rodgers coming back from injury in Week 15. Like, you know what, he's Aaron Rodgers, you got to start him against Carolina. And Carolina hasn't been, you know, the, the worst matchup, but they have a decent defense, and... This is something where I thought we were in for a similar spot with Wilson. Like, I think the Rams defense is pretty good, but it's not great. And Wilson's very good. He's one of the few QBs who can succeed in the face of any matchup. But he did not deliver like Rodgers did uh, in, you know, on that slate. And I I, I was very surprised by that. Um, I, I'm with you in terms of, you know, just my overall evaluation of Wilson. He was my QB, too. Pre-draft, I've been kind of riding that all season. He was one of the few high-end quarterbacks I was willing to pay up for in my two quarterback drafts because I'm primarily a late-round guy. But yeah, d- really disappointing uh, week from him. He was my you know runner-up to Philip Rivers. I think Goff on the other side of the ball there was also pretty disappointing. QB 23, 10.8 fantasy points. Actually had fewer than Wilson, despite the fact that his team blew out the Seahawks. And this is just one more kind of glimmer of evidence that Goff may not be quite as good as everyone wants him to be. And, and, you know, the term system quarterback gets thrown around a lot and it kind of comes to mind here. I don't necessarily like to apply those types of titles, but I think what you imply with that title specifically does fit kind of the player that Jared Goff is. He's still a young guy. He's still learning. And a lot of what I believe his success has stemmed from is that that scheme that he plays in, you know, Sean McVay, what he does for that offense. What do you think about Goff? Uh, is he a guy who, I mean, when I when I look at him for DFS, unless it's a good matchup, I'm scared away. If it's at all, you know, shady, like in, this game was on the road at Seattle, you've mentioned your bias against that. Uh, but if it's against a good defense, Goff is not a guy I really want to use unless it's, you know, a really choice matchup. How have you been approaching him uh, week to week? Yeah, he's uh, he's definitely had some boom weeks, and I have not really uh, taken advantage of them. I haven't played him much at all in DFS. Um, I guess it kind of correlates with what you're saying. Uh, I think after uh, Russell Wilson's performance, I think I'm just going to go ahead and transfer my MVP vote over to Sean McVay because <laughs> it's it's just been so fantastic to see. And I this is why I love football, and I just love the NFL because coaching matters so much, and this has probably been – the greatest example I can ever 
remember in my life of just seeing a very similar team go from the worst to one of the best in the league. And that's a, that has a lot to do with Sean McVay. And so Jared Goff is obviously benefiting from that. And so he um, there are going to be those weeks where he he is huge for you in DFS. And the reason why I had to go Russell Wilson over Goff on the spot was because I think that there's reasons to understand why Goff didn't blow up. And that was that's because of uh, two words, Todd Gurley. Yep. Uh, Todd Gurley took everything from him. And, and that's going to happen. And that's why, um, you know, football and, and fantasy football can be fr- so frustrating because there is that variance that we love to talk about. And I think that's just what happened to Goff in this spot. But he has had games with three touchdowns. And Robert Woods, who is a guy that I have uh, I have kind of believed in to some extent for a while. It's been fun to watch him out of nowhere after they brought in Sammy Watkins, I, I got less excited about him and he has been connecting with golf. So um, he's definitely somebody that you can roll out, but I think he's more, th- this whole conversation I think boils down to he's more of a tournament quarterback for me and less of a uh, cash game play one because there are these chances for Gurley to just take over, but there also are, also are going to be those games where he does have 303 and he has had it. And so um, because people still are probably a little bit late to buy in. And I guess I'm kind of in that same boat. If you can hit on one of those big weeks, that's what makes him a tournament play. Because as we'll get to very soon, ownership percentage matters a lot. Well, and that's what makes you know that title of a system quarterback actually somewhat appealing if you turn it on its ear, right? You can say, okay, I believe that the reason he is good is because his offense is good. And if I understand how that offense works, then I can pick and choose the matchups where I think he's going to blow up. And because it's not consistent, you know, week to week, and because he's a more unpredictable player, that definitely skews you more towards that tournament mindset with a player like that. But I I think that even in cash games, if you like the matchup or if you think that specifically the, the Rams have incentive to throw rather than run, those are the types of times when you can look at a guy like Goff and say, okay, I'm confident in starting him this week. And I, and I think you can say similar things about other QBs and other situations. Like I think Blake Bortles is kind of the opposite. We know, we know that their MO is they want to run the ball. They want to win with their defense, but when they're facing a Houston team, you know, that is pretty good against the run and terrible against the pass, then you can look at that as a potential like, Oh, this is a good spot for Blake Bortles. And Oh, by the way, Leonard Fournette's out. He's a guy I need to get into my lineups, you know? And, and this is something where it's a convergence of factors. So you have to look at all this stuff together, you know, narrative plus statistics and kind of mash it all together and, and see what starts to make sense to you. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's phenomenal analysis right there because it is kind of team by team based. And of course the matchups in DFS where you're only playing a guy for one week, the matchups are going to be huge, especially at the quarterback position, because we know at running back a wide receiver volume is king, even in DFS, even in all types of fantasy football. And then the matchup is kind of that cherry on top. But for a quarterback where volume isn't as important, you want a quarterback to just be efficient and to have success on no matter how many throws they have, because if they throw for uh, they, if they complete one pass for 90 yards and a touchdown, you don't care if they have 10 attempts or not. So matchups matter a ton. And is, and that's why I kind of said earlier, the value of the fantasy game matters to me because if I'm looking like I was very into the, uh, the Rams Eagles game a couple weeks ago in DFS because I saw two great offenses where a ton of points were going to be scored. And I leaned Carson Wentz there and that paid off for me before he got hurt. RIP, uh, love me some Carson Wentz. 
but I, I think Jared Goff had a pretty solid game there as well. So, yeah, the matchup is going to pay dividends. And on top of that, then you can kind of look and see, well, how does this offense like to run? And is this going to be a week where I think that, uh, you know, a, a quarterback like Goff, who, yeah, he he's you know, whatever you think about him as a as a player, we know that this offense has been one of the best offenses in the league this year. And so you just have to accept that and believe that that's going to continue because we haven't seen any reason for it not to. All right, let's move forward. Let's talk about week 16 specifically. And we've been dancing around this Superflex DFS stuff at FanDuel for a while. Just to give a little background, you touched on some of this at the top of the show, Ben, but uh, this was new to week 15. FanDuel hadn't offered this previously, and the contests are still ongoing with Atlanta and Tampa Bay. I just checked the box score. It's 17-7 to Atlanta right now. Uh, one thing to note with these Superflex contests is the QB salaries are higher than they are in the one quarterback contest they offer, but... Other positions all use the same prices. So the running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends all cost the same. There's no kicker, no defense like you mentioned. The lineups are a quarterback, a super flex, which, you know, let's be real, that's going to be a second quarterback every time you make a lineup. Then two running backs, two wide receivers, a tight end, and then a running back, wide receiver, tight end flex. How does the loss of kickers and defense affect your analysis? Do you do you really, does that change how you approach the other positions at all? I imagine it doesn't. No, no, it doesn't. Um, the only thing there would be, you know, one of the underrated stacks would be a, a defense and running back stack. Um, you know, I felt very strongly about the Vikings defense last week. I, I just think the Bengals have nothing other than A.J. Green, and I didn't see A.J. Green doing anything. And so, you know, if if you felt that strongly like I did, then it would have made sense to play a guy like Latavius Murray, who's not great, but, you know, you figure the game flow is going to work out. And he, he paid off. He scored a touchdown. He didn't blow up, but he had a pretty solid game. And, you know, he puts you in a position if you surrounded him with a bunch of other guys that went off to win a tournament with like a Vikings and Latavius Murray stack. So you're just not really thinking about it from that aspect as much, but you, you still can because you can still play Latavius Murray because you think that way. It just kind of takes that defense stack out. But yeah, other than that, it's, it doesn't change much with the kicker and defense. I think the 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 main thing that we we need to talk about is what you already said is that the only change in salary is at the quarterback position and of course that's likely because it is superflex and like you said you're going to play a quarterback in that superflex every time because it's just the easiest position to predict and they score the most points so that's what you're going to do and because the the quarterbacks cost more i really think that it allows you to pay down at quarterback to conserve that salary to to go get studs at other positions and that paid off in a huge way in this first week of, of you know trying this super flex out on FanDuel because of, of all these guys we've already talked about Nick Foles Blake Bortles Eli Manning even Cam Newton who finishes the quarterback one really wasn't that high priced which is why I was all over him in cash so um, you want to try to find those values um, and matchup plays, you know, just like we just touched on at the quarterback position, matchup plays a huge role in that. And if you can find those values and save a little bit of that salary, now you can go get the Le'Veon Bells and the Todd Gurley's and the DeAndre Hopkins and things like that and make a pretty, pretty strong super flex team. And I think that this is the same strategy that we've harped on 
at two quarterbacks for a while, at least to some extent, I know I have, it's really the same thought process and redraft. I think you're kind of the same way, Greg, where you can wait in the draft and stock up at, at running back and wide receiver while your, your competition is panicking and drafting quarterbacks earlier than they really need to. And it's the same deal. Go get the studs at running back and wide receiver and let your competition think, Oh, because this is, um, super flex. I have to get Brady and, Carson Wentz, if he was healthy, you know, pay up at the position. No, you can save money with guys that we already touched on. Create, get studs at other positions and create a really, really good super flex team. Yeah, that's a great point. And week 15 really bore that out, bared that out. Is it bore or bared? I don't know. Anyway, uh, the. I don't know. <laughs> that there were, you know, four or three really good performances by bad quarterbacks Manning, Fools, Bortles, and, and Flacco, too, a little bit deeper down. Uh, the only you know high-priced quarterback to really hit was Cam Newton. Uh, he had the most fantasy points among all QBs, hit, uh, but only hit about 3.7x value, uh, which is you know taking how many points he scored, dividing it by the salary that he costs, then just multiplying by a thousand, you get 3.7. Uh, Eli Manning actually delivered more value per dollar at 4.3x, and so you can see that even though you know yes, you want the most points, and Cam Newton gave you that. If Eli Manning gives you a similar number of points, only about three less for a much cheaper value, that's where you want to be. And it gets really interesting when you start to stack up these games a little bit. Like you mentioned the correlation between a running back and a defense. You can actually search for correlation between two quarterbacks on opposing sides of a matchup. And you might, a lot of people, I think when they looked at that week 15 slate, they looked at, they were looking for those good fantasy matchups, the high over-unders, and they saw New England and and uh, Pittsburgh with that super high over-under. I think it was like 53 and a half points in week 15. And, yeah. you know, immediately thought, okay, I'm, I have to be willing to pay up for Brady, for Roethlisberger, for all these other big-name guys on those teams. But they really didn't deliver all that much if you stack them up together relative to other quarterback pairings you could have used. Foles and Manning was clearly the best. Uh, they had... Well, not clearly the best. Rodgers and Newton was the best in terms of raw points. They scored about 56 fantasy points. Uh, that's the most by any two quarterbacks from the same game, 3.2x value. But Foles and Manning had a higher uh, multiplier, 3.9x value, uh, with about 54 fantasy points. And you might think that the next pairing would have been Brady and Roethlisberger in terms of value. But no, there were six other quarterback combinations from you know the same game. So if you stack them up, delivered more production per dollar than Roethlisberger and Brady did. And most notably, Jimmy Garoppolo and Marcus Mariota, two guys who I was touting last week in my Game Flobotics A to Z uh, series. But, you know, th these guys didn't have great performances. Combined, they only scored 37.2 fantasy points. But if you look at, if you want to stack up guys from the same game and chase that correlation, they were the third highest scoring combo on the week. So take that for what you will. There are a lot of different ways you can attack this. But I'm with you, man. You got to chase those cheap guys because the quarterback inherently has that ceiling and that floor you're looking at just because they touch the ball so many times. Even on a low number of touches relatively for quarterbacks, if they use those touches efficiently, if they get a lot of touchdowns relative to their attempts, then that can result in these big blow-up weeks like you saw with Nichols and Eli Manning. Yes, and I think that... Um... I love this is very important to bring up because even though like the the stud quarterbacks didn't hit especially in the same game this is still a strategy that you are going to want to keep in your back pocket every week when you're playing FanDuel Superflex because 
there are going to be those weeks where the game does hit and it's 41 to 38. And so game stacking has been a thing that's gone on in DFS for a really long time. But when you're only playing one quarterback DFS, you're taking one of the quarterbacks and then you're, you know, trying to correlate it with a pass catcher on the other team or multiple things like that. And if you get the the quarterback and wide receiver stack on one team correct and then you go cooks on the Patriots and ends up being Hogan that um, is the one that blows up. You know, you're kicking yourself because you had the right idea and you just got, you know, you just became a sucker to variance, which happens especially at the wide receiver position. But with quarterbacks, again, where it's easier to predict, if you're able to go with, uh, you know, Big Ben and Brady and it does hit and the next time they play each other, it is a 45 to 41 finish, then the the odds are pretty high that both quarterbacks are going to score a lot of points and, you know, it's it's easier to predict on top of that. So definitely a strategy you want to pay attention to. And putting, I think that that Mariota Garoppolo example is the perfect one to correlate these two thoughts of you can save money and find a game where it's like, you know what? Both teams are are kind of exciting on offense and both defenses are pretty bad. So let me just throw them both in there. If the game is high scoring, I get that upside, but I also save money to where I can still go grab Todd Gurley and let's see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, all of these quarterback stacks are complicated by the fact that we can still stack with their receivers, too. So if you had Garoppolo and Mariota and you threw in uh, Marquise Goodwin and his 100-yard receiving day, there's more and more that you can try to build up on this. And that's why that Steelers-Patriots game was so appealing, because you see all these big-name fantasy dudes, right? You see Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, Brandon Cooks, Rob Gronkowski, Ben Roethlisberger, Tom Brady... And you want to pile all these guys up and just hope that it turns into some crazy shootout. It just so happens that the shootouts we got were New York and Philly and then, uh, you know, Green Bay and Carolina. So and and that was that's an example of what you were talking about, where the studs did hit. Rodgers and Newton both had great games, you know, despite the fact that Rodgers threw three picks and they delivered a ton of value. If you stack those two up together and you find the right values at the other positions, then you're sitting pretty, man. You're, you're going to win some money. Now, I want to talk a little bit more basic DFS strategy here because I, I generally focus the show on redraft, on seasonal leagues. And so we, we've been talking about a lot of concepts. And of course, if you have any questions, you should hit us up on Twitter. But just the idea of a threshold that you want to hit because generally in you know a weekly seasonal matchup all you're trying to do is beat one person right in dfs you have to meet you have to beat multiple people maybe you're playing in a 10 person 50 50 where you have to you know finish you know in the top half of scores or you're playing in a tournament where you're only the top 15 percent of people maybe the top 15 out of 100 are the the folks who are going to win so can you explain to the listeners the idea of uh, a cash line and, and other thresholds we're trying to hit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, there are are a lot of differences between cash and tournaments, and and cash is really a lot easier, <laughs> and, um, and that can be good, good, and that can be be bad. But you know, you're you're literally just looking for volume in cash, and because volume equals reliability, and that's what you want. Because uh, like you kind of touched on, you know, regard w- depending on which. Um, cash, cash game you decide to play, you're trying to finish within like the top 43% or top 50% and basically double your money. And so because that's all you're concerned about, you're just trying to create a solid team and you want that volume and then you want to, you know, find some good matchups on top of that and just get a team that you feel really good about. Um, of course, it, it's never a bad thing to have a little bit of upside in there, but you don't want to get too risky because, 
you don't want to risk getting a zero or something like that because you just need solid players. And so you want to get the guys that have been seeing close to 10 targets a game and you want the running backs that get all the guaranteed volume and things like that. You know, if you trusted Todd Gurley and all his guaranteed volume last week, you paid off in a big way and I guarantee you that you cashed. But in tournaments, it's different um, because obviously you are uh, basically trying to win because really only about 20% of the field wins money. And if you're lucky enough to, to finish in that money, a lot of people really are only du- like doubling their money like it's a cash lineup anyway, because it's so top heavy. And so because it's so top heavy, the only way to make cashing in a tournament worth it is by finishing at the top. And that's where it can be really fun because obviously that's where the life-changing amounts of money can come from. That's where you get to brag to your friends. That's where you get to post those boss screenshots on Twitter. And of course, we all want to do that. So I love playing tournaments, but it's a different mindset. You can't just focus on you know, making a solid team because everybody's doing the exact same thing. So you can't give into groupthink that much because ownership percentage matters. Um and, and you also need you also need to look more at range of outcomes. So Deshaun Jackson and Ted Ginn are two wide receivers throughout their career that you probably would never put in a cash lineup. But we know that they have huge games. Right. And so within the range of outcomes, they have those big days. And if they and if you can hit on one of those big days, you can get the upside and also get them at a somewhat low ownership percentage, because, again, that matters. So if you have. Uh, Travis Kelsey, who let's say, I think this is the the example that came to my mind the most. Uh, and it was week 17 last year, which is coming up where Kelsey had cam- come off the huge game against the Denver Broncos and everyone was going to play him. And Zach Ertz uh, hadn't done as much, but he was heating up towards the end of the season. And he had a good matchup. Well, if Kelsey's going to be like 50% owned and Zach Ertz is going to be like 6% owned. Okay. But you think Travis Kelsey is the better play in, a, in cash, you just play Kelsey, and you don't worry about the ownership percentage because you think he's the better play. But in a tournament, if the ownership percentage is that different, then you play Ertz, even if you think that he's not the best play. Because if, in his range of outcomes, he does outscore Travis Kelsey, then you just jumped half the field. And if your other plays hit, now you have a huge leg up on your competition, be, and, and you have to have that. Because, again, the only reason it makes sense in a tournament is winning. So in a tournament, you're looking, um, I, I'm mostly a DraftKings player. I mean, you have to hit over 200 points, which is pretty hard to do. And that's why you need to take some risk. Because if you play Deshaun Jackson and he gets you a zero, it doesn't really matter because you shouldn't be playing tournaments expecting to win long term. The only way you're going to win long term is if you hit and you win thousands of dollars on one day. So that's that's literally the opposite of long-term, right? That's a one-time deal. So you, you shouldn't care if your lineup busts in a tournament because the lineup is either a good lineup or a bad lineup when you create it, not after the games. So looking at it, you say, okay, yeah, maybe I don't cash, but if I do, there's a chance that I win this because every player here either has the volume, a good matchup, or they have within their range of outcomes a huge game where we've seen Deshaun Jackson do that in his career, or with the guaranteed volume of a Todd Gurley, hey, maybe I don't love the matchup against Seattle, but because he's like 
top in the league in touches behind Le'Veon Bell, there's a chance where he gets all these touchdowns and he hits that. So you have to have a lineup that has a very, very high range of outcomes, but that's not necessarily the case in cash. You just, on DraftKings, you're, you're looking to get, um, I mean, 150, you're probably, you're, you're chilling. The, the, the specific numbers are something that I, I need to dive more into, but I mean, probably around 130, you're going to have a chance, but it also depends on the slate because yep. every slate is its own monster. And so really my focus is just in cash. I just, okay, you know, DD Westbrook, even though he didn't come through last week, he's had all this volume and he's pretty cheap and he has a good matchup. So he's a, he's the type of player that I would put in cash because I didn't care that he was going to be pretty high owned, which he, which he was because a lot of sharp people were on him and it just didn't pan out and that's going to happen. But you don't care about that in cash. And the, luckily the rest of my players did, did well enough to where it didn't matter and I still won money, which is nice about cash. But in a tournament, he's the type of player where I would have gotten off because it's like, okay, well, I don't think he has a, a ton of upside and a lot of people like him. So let me find a a more contrarian wide receiver because that's the that's the main position that you want to get contrarian is wide receiver because even with volume these wide receivers are seeing a lot less overall opportunities than these running backs with guaranteed workloads because the running backs get it in the passing game and the running game but the wide receivers don't get that and so that's what makes the stefan Diggs last week and the randall cobbs last week relevant it's like okay well you know He's going to be super low owned. He plays with Rodgers. You know, who knows if he'll get six targets or 10 or, or five, but he has a chance to blow up. So that's the position you want to get contrarian. And that's kind of the, the general differences for my thought process between cash and tournaments. Um, and I apologize for the long winded answer. Oh, no, that's great. I mean, everything you said was was spot on. And the best way for me to kind of imagine it is like I'm going to a roulette table in a casino. And fantasy is drastically different than roulette because there's skill involved in evaluating the, these players and these fantasy options that you have, whereas roulette is literally just a spin of the wheel. It's it's all luck. But you have what are generally, you know, uh, you know per, odds on percentage plays that you can make. If you want to bet on the outside, you can bet on red or black or odd or even numbers. And there are generally an even number uh, of those spaces on the wheel, right? But and they complicate that with the double zero and the zero. But let's just say, for example, that we had a, a roulette wheel that was only red and black, right? Where half the time, in theory, it's going to come up red, half the time it's going to come up black. That's kind of like what playing a cash game is, where you're just trying to kind of grind out slow victories, where I want to hit on a 50-50 bet, you know, more times than not. Like, I want to get my percentage up to, uh, my winning percentage up to like 55% instead of that 50-50 proposition that I started at. Whereas a tournament is more like you're betting on the individual numbers themselves, where there are 36 numbers on the roulette wheel, and you might bet on, you know, number seven over and over again, over and over again. And all you need to do to, in theory, make money long-term, if there are 36 numbers, is hit more often than once every 36 times. If you hit twice in 36 times, then you're up. You're going to, you're generally going to make a lot more money. And the, like how you can correlate that to fantasy, I suppose, is you think about, okay, if I only need to win, you know, two out of 36 of these lineups, then I can take more risks, right? And, and that's inherently what you're doing when you're betting on a single number in roulette. You're taking a riskier proposition with a higher payoff. So that's that's generally one way that I like to think about it. Um, I want to talk to you more about that idea of 
uh, being contrarian uh, versus being chalk. And, and chalk is a term that gets thrown around to describe players who are going to be more popular. Uh, I think it derives from like March Madness, right? But anyway, we, we know that you know certain players are going to be more popular based on price, uh, based upon talent. But what about just recency bias in general? We know that you know, in fantasy, there's recency bias with individual players and individual matchups. But how about with DFS? Like, for example, last week, Foles and Manning were the stack to use in these Superflex DFS contests. So can we expect drafters to chase those lower-cost QB stacks next week as well? And is that why, like you said earlier, maybe we should give more consideration to the higher price stacks like uh, Roethlisberger and Brady? Yes, yes, absolutely. Recency bias is probably my favorite term to throw out there when we're talking about tournaments because it is 100% real. And it's, 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 it's a very easy explanation. This is the NFL for the majority of the majority of the games. We are waiting one full week for, um, another game. It's a very, very small sample size. Each team only plays 16 regular season games. So we draw these conclusions off of one game. You know, six targets, six opportunities, things like that. And things can change extremely drastically from week to week. But the majority of your competition is going to put a ton of weight on what they just saw and less weight on the bigger picture. So it's really important to zoom out and it's really important to just understand that and say, okay. You know, it, so it, it's not an exact science predicting ownership percentage, but I think that I've gotten pretty good playing DFS for like the last five or six years of just kind of being able to guess well enough. And, and a lot of that comes down to recent performance. And I think that the best way to exploit it is, well, I, I guess it, it's twofold. It's, you know, this wide receiver just had a huge game. But it was, you know, four catches for 160 yards and two touchdowns on six targets. Well, six targets is really not that much volume. And so the, the idea that he, um, you know, duplicates that two weeks in a row is probably very low. But a lot of your competition is just going to look at those raw numbers and play them again. And, you know, quarterbacks, it's, it's a little bit different because, you know, I think it's easier to exploit it at, in terms of overall volume with running backs and wide receivers. But it can be exploited with quarterbacks, too, because we know, like we touched on, that Bortles and Foles had really good matchups, right? So if the matchup isn't as good the next week, but people are still thinking, oh, Foles' uh, salary didn't change at all, and I can still get him at this this low price, and it's like, okay, that's great, but do we think that that's going to happen again because now he's facing – um, you know, a defense that's that's basically twice as good or something like that. So um, that 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 needs to absolutely be considered. And I think that two of the best examples last week were Greg Olson and Sterling Shepard, because neither one of them had done much at all coming back from injuries. However, and this is what where I, I have a lot of the fun and I wasn't on either one of them last week and I wish I was. But this is where I have the fun is because you dig into those statistics that the majority of your competition isn't even looking at. What yep. percentage of snaps did he play? Oh, both of them played like 95% snaps the week before. So we know they're on the field. Okay. Um, you I know, love, I love that. Yeah. That's ex ex exactly. Exactly. Cause you have to be on the field to have a chance. You have to be on the field to run pass routes. And it's like, okay, he only got one target. He didn't catch a pass. But if he ran 40 pass routes, then, then we know that the, the, the next game can drastically change. And what do we see? The Panthers were playing at home against the Packers and a bad pass defense. 
okay, well, if all things, you know, um, go well for Greg Olson, who we know when you look at the bigger picture and not just at the fact that he didn't catch a pass the week before and given the recency bias, the bigger picture is that Greg Olson has been like a top five, top seven fantasy tight end for years now. And so on, you, you put all of that into a nice little Christmas present. You put a bow on top of it and you realize that you can get him at a super low ownership percentage due to that recency bias. And I wasn't on it, but um, some other smart people were. And it paid off for them in a big way. And that's just one example. And it's one that I wasn't on. But there are plenty of examples where sometimes it has helped me and it can help you. And that is a huge um, thing that you have to look at for tournaments. And that's where this all kind of comes down to ownership percentage, because really and shout out to Jonathan Bales, because he's um, a very smart guy in this industry. I hope you guys all know who I'm talking about. And um, I've read some of his stuff and he has talked about four tournaments. It is a long term. It is more profitable to predict ownership percentage than it is to predict what we actually think these guys are going to do on the field, because every single one of your competition in a tournament where you're playing against thousands of people is predicting what they think is going to happen on the field. But much le- a small majority of people is actually paying as much attention to ownership percentage as they should be in tournaments. And so that's why I love this conversation about recency bias, because it's a huge deal. And I love that you brought up Greg Olson and said that people who played him last week were smart because he was one of the few guys I was on, and I was stacking him with Cam where I could, especially in these contests. My problem was that I didn't stack Aaron Rodgers in there because unlike Olson, where we had the previous week to say, oh, he played 95% of the snaps, he got through the game, he didn't get a whole lot of targets, but you know he seems good to go, and we know that he's probably the best receiver in that offense in general, and Cam's most trusted receiver for sure. So I was all about that. My problem was is I, I was too scared off of Rodgers in his first game back from injury, where that's another thing where I fell prey to my own recency bias right there, right? Like I should have thought to myself, yeah. or I could have thought to myself, hey, look, you know, this is Aaron Rodgers, and if he is playing, he's going to be good. They wouldn't run him out there if he couldn't play, you know, blah, blah, blah. You tell yourself all those stories. But, yeah, I, I love what you brought up with, uh, with Olsen. I want to talk specifically about the upcoming slate and how we can apply some of these concepts because we've been talking big picture about a lot of stuff when it comes to these dfs contests and we also might be losing some of the the seasonal and year-long guys but (laughs) that's okay i i gave the disclaimer at the top of the episode we're going to keep rolling with it i'm going to shake things up on you here ben and, and mix up the show notes a little bit instead of starting with our most intriguing quarterback streamer or undervalued play of the week i want to talk about the quarterbacks who you would normally start, but you might be avoiding this week, your clipboard holder of the week, if you will. And I specifically want to bring this back to a guy that you mentioned, uh, Nick Foles, and how you know we can look at how he performed last week and how he overperformed expectations and how that's going to make people excited to use him again, especially because the Eagles are kind of a public team as well. Like the Eagles have a lot of fans and there are a lot of people who, because they root for that team, are going to want to get Eagles into their lineups. And, oh, Nick Foles had a great week last week. I'm sure he'll be fine again this week. That sort of mentality is something you can exploit because you can look at him playing against the Raiders and say, oh, that's not a bad matchup necessarily. The Raiders defense hasn't been great. But they have been a lot better relative to who Nick Foles faced last week in the New York Giants. So I think this is actually a spot where if you're asking me a a guy I want to avoid based upon projected ownership, I think Foles is the perfect example. What do you think? Yeah, and I think that the other aspect of that is game flow. And we saw that the Giants raced out to this huge lead, and it basically created 
Um, you know, we love talking about this all the time. A, a fantastic game script for Nick Foles that, you know, catered to a lot of upside in the passing game. And I think it's a pretty solid matchup for him again against the Raiders. But you touched on it, maybe not as great. And on top of that, this game's in Philly. The Raiders are now eliminated from playoff contention. And so if Philly gets back to, um, you know, just just winning pretty easily, which I think is is very, very possible this week, then maybe it's a JHI game. And even though Nick Foles plays well, maybe completes like, 70% of his passes and throws for 220 yards. Maybe he only throws one touchdown and the upside's just not there. Um, because, you know, we've seen the Eagles, the Eagles have way too many running backs right now. And yep. that's very frustrating from a fantasy perspective, but maybe all three of them get a touchdown and that hurts Foles. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's a fine matchup. So in cash, Sure. But again, this goes back to that whole tournament conversation. And because what he just did and because people are going to have seen that they're going to jump right on it. It it makes a lot of sense to not play him in tournaments because of that. Who's another quarterback who you might avoid this week based upon projected ownership? Yeah. And I think um, a similar thought process here is Cam Newton. And I was all over Cam last week. He was my cash game quarterback and uh, played him in some tournaments, too. And it paid off in a big way. But um, I think. What we have here is, again, that recency bias of, okay, you know, Cam had a huge game, he's back. And it's an interesting one because he has a a really good matchup against a a very bad Buccaneers pass defense. So you have great recent performance on top of great matchup, and that's usually a formula for a pretty high ownership, which is what we're talking about. But I think because of that high ownership, it does make some sense to fade Cam because, again, that's what's long-term, you know, uh, more profitable is kind of – getting away from that group think and cam's game isn't just oh you know the bucks are one of the the top three worst pass defenses in dvoa and all these passing yards allowed because cam's upside comes a lot in the rushing game as well and he had a very good game in the passing game last week but that's not always the case and so i don't think that this favorable matchup translates as seamlessly as a lot of your competition thinks it will so because of that i think that there is reasons to fade him in tournaments because of that yeah, I can see that for sure. Now, how about just based upon matchup? Are there any quarterbacks who you don't really want any piece on based on who they're playing? Not necessarily about cost or ownership, but just a defense that has you scared off of a, a quarterback who you might normally play? Yeah, a guy I'll throw out here is is uh, Marcus Mariota, and I've I've liked him a lot. I, I've liked him as a player, but he has let me down this year. And, you know, we've had on top of that whispers the last couple weeks that he might be playing through injuries. Um, he, he was good last week, but he played the 49ers and the 49ers pass defense is, is bad. And now he's playing a Rams defense that, you know, we just talked, talked about what it did against Russell Wilson. I mean, Aaron Donald ruins lives and he gets a, uh, this Rams defense that ranks third best in pass DVOA. They've allowed the six fewest passing yards on the season. So he's somebody that, you know, although I've been a fan of, um, I, I'm not, the matchup does have me scared off a little bit, even though he's at home. What about you? Yeah, actually, Mariota was my pick as well for all the same reasons. I think that the Rams might be due for a little bit of a letdown after playing, you know, in Seattle the way they did. But after they did contain Russell Wilson in week uh, 15, like, I just, I don't see any way where they theoretically should have any problem with a guy like Marcus Mariota and that defense because he's just not on the same level as Wilson. Um, Another guy that I would throw out, and this is 
kind of a risky play based upon potential, you know, up and down game script. But Matt Ryan at New Orleans, uh, the Saints are healthy again on defense. And I just don't really trust Matt Ryan and the Falcons. I think we've seen that team regress as as expected. And, and this could be a spot where maybe he's due for, you know, not only is the matchup tougher than it looks, but he's he might be another guy that because people still have that, you know, feeling like, oh, it's against New Orleans. He should be fine. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe they'll talk themselves into Matt Ryan, and he's a guy I'm a little scared of um, for that reason because I, I think the the defense for the Saints is underrated. And again, second uh, divisional matchup against the team. I, I don't know. I'm I'm a little concerned about that one. After we see how he plays tonight against Tampa Bay, that might inform my decision a little bit better. But there's one more narrative uh, against him, right? A short week uh, going to New Orleans. So I don't know. What do, what do you think about Matt Ryan in this matchup? Yeah, no, I, I'm uh, I'm mostly with you. I mean, the Saints defense has been really good this year. It's not the same Saints defense. So, you know, again, a lot of people are going to think, oh, you know, Falcons say. But it's it's not the same Saints defense, and it's not the same Falcons offense. I mean, well, first of all, we knew – um, and I was all over this and, and I think a lot of smart people were. We just, we knew that the Falcons were not going to be the same offense, regardless of whether Kyle Shanahan was there or not, because it's just so hard to keep historic efficiency and just amazing seasons up. And we saw the same thing happen with the Panthers the year before. But I laughed when it's like, oh, okay, you're going to keep the offense exactly the same. No, it's a new offensive coordinator and Steve Sarkeesian has not been a good offensive coordinator in my opinion um running a lot less play action and you know that's a lot of where the falcons succeeded last year i mean and that that was the the talk that it took matt ryan a year to learn the offense because he had to get comfortable with the play action then they killed him last year with two running backs and were lethal with play action and the offense just has not clicked on all cylinders or even close to it like it has last year unless julio's blowing up and with marshawn Lattimore out there um, you know, there's reasons to believe that his upside will be mitigated a little bit. It's still Julio, but I think that there's a lot of reasons like you touched on to where it's not a guarantee by any means. Yeah, and what's really interesting about this to me is you can look at two guys that we talked about potentially avoiding, Matt Ryan and Cam Newton, and you can look at how you might be able to stack them with the quarterback from the other side of the game, and that might make it okay, right? If you get Matt Ryan and Andrew Brees into your lineup, and, and that game does turn into a shootout, then you're sitting on cloud nine. Same thing with, with Cam Newton against that Bucks defense. Like, if you get him and if you get Jameis Winston going off against a Panthers defense that's been a little suspect against the pass recently, then, again, you, you in spite of the fact that these guys might not be the best matchups on paper, because you get that correlation, that gives you that higher ceiling. And that's going to be a really interesting inflection point for, for Week 16, I think, is, is seeing how those two matchups play out. Let's talk about guys that we do like, though, uh, streamers of the week. And we're looking, again, for low-end types of quarterbacks who we wouldn't normally always start in a seasonal league. But within the context of, of this week, uh, you know, the matchups or whatever else, these are guys who we want to use in Week 16. Who are you looking at, Ben? Well, might not be might not be that exciting. Um, I'm interested to hear where you, where you go because I'm just going right back to Blake Bortles. Um, yep. He's thrown yeah. for at least two, 268 yards and two touchdowns in three straight games. Now he gets the 49ers, and the 49ers are fourth worst in pass DVOA. They've allowed the 14th most passing yards in the year and the third most pass yards over the past five weeks, which kind of gives us a a better picture of what's going on recently. Um, and so. 
Yeah, I mean, it kind of fits right what you're talking about, right? Like Bortles is not a guy that historically we um, are going to trust week in and week out, especially when you need a win if you are still in the playoffs or in DFS where, oh, you know, that upside might be there, but it's still Bortles and, and things of that nature. But he's been getting it done, and the matchup tells you that there are reasons to like him once again. So that is my pick. Yeah, uh, the Niners have given up the third most points per game to QBs. Uh, they've allowed an average weekly finish of QB 11.3, so you basically get a top 12 QB every time you start one against the Niners, at least on average. Uh, I think his ceiling depends a little bit on Leonard Fournette's status because we yes. know they want to run the ball, right? So if Fournette's healthy, I think that that hurts Bortles' ceiling, especially like you know once they do get into the red zone around the goal line. But the floor in this matchup is about as safe as can be, so he was definitely on my short list of picks the guy who I'm going to throw out here, and this is digging really deep, so f- please forgive me, Ben, I, I, for, for what I'm about to do. I'm going to say <laughs> that Mitchell Trubisky against the Cleveland Browns oh, is, okay. is interesting to me. The Browns have allowed the fourth most fantasy points per game, about 18.9. Uh, average weekly finish of QB 10.7. So they actually have allowed better finishes than the Niners this this year, despite allowing a, a, a little bit fewer points. Uh, but seven of the 14 weeks against the Browns have resulted in, in top 10 finishes for quarterbacks. 12 of 14 have resulted in top 20 weeks. He benefits from that same matchup I talked about earlier that propped up Brett Hundley and Joe Flacco over the past couple weeks. The question is whether or not John Fox is going to let Trubisky throw like the Packers did with right. Hundley and like the Ravens did with uh, with Joe Flacco. So that's risky, right? We're talking about John Fox, a guy who is basically the new Jeff Fisher and a guy who wants to run the ball, even when it's not necessarily correct to do so uh, or necessarily correct for his young quarterback's development. This has been a constant source of frustration for me uh, in recent weeks. But, you know, they've let him throw more since he got the starting gig. I think that this matchup is conducive to throwing. So if they are going to let give him a little bit more leash, then this is a good matchup to do it. So it's not a sexy play. It's not one that I really want to use in DFS. But, uh, you know, based upon the price, maybe it's worth it, right? Yeah, I don't hate it at all. Um, Trubisky's my boy right now because two weeks ago the slate was so insane. I just wanted to get Keenan Allen and Gurley and all these studs. So I ended up settling on Trubisky as my cash game quarterback on DraftKings because he was 4400 bucks and he came through in a huge way for like 20 points against the Bengals. Week, so yeah. yeah, so I'm still uh, I'm still feeling good about that and yeah, I mean John Fox is just the worst, and he has two more games as an NFL head coach, and then we can say good riddance to him just like uh, we did for Fisher. So hopefully I I like Trubisky, and I like him because of that. He helped me win some money, so I don't hate it. And then maybe Ty Goat gives us you know, one more game script uh, performance uh, playing on the road against the Patriots. Uh, maybe he uh, he comes through with a rushing touchdown. He he played pretty well last week against the the Dolphins. Maybe he helps us here as another unique name that uh, plays from behind and ends up stacking up some pretty good points there too. Earlier in the show, you mentioned Joe Flacco playing pretty well recently, and, and you're right. He's got three straight top 14 finishes. He scored 16 or more fantasy points in each of those games, and that's you know standard scoring with minus two per interception. I think he actually scores more uh, both in DraftKings and FanDuel based upon the the scoring differences and the bonuses. But the Colts have allowed the eighth most fantasy points to, to QBs, average weekly finish of QB 12.4. Uh, six of their 14 games, uh, Indy, ha- have, have resulted in top 10 weeks to quarterbacks. Uh, 11 of 14 have resulted in top 20 weeks. How do you feel about Flacco here? Is he another potential bargain play? 
Yeah, you know what? Actually, I think he's the real answer the more I think about it because he's a little bit more unique like we were kind of diving into. And of course, classic me, I'm kind of looking at the the main slate here as I usually focus on for DFS purposes. But getting to that Saturday game, like I touched on it with Osweiler. I mean, if you can make Brock Osweiler look good, you can make anybody look good. Joe Flacco has looked a little bit better. Of course, the Colts are uh, missing. I think it's Rashawn Melvin. Don't quote me. I think that was their de facto number one cornerback after Vontae Davis was lost. So, I mean, they're a bad pass defense that's operating without their top two cornerbacks. Um, it will be interesting because I think Jeremy Macklin's going to miss. So I never love, uh, you know, my quarterback missing an important piece of the passing offense. So although Macklin's been up and down and their pass offense has been um, pretty interesting, you know, you got Alex Collins and, and Woodhead. You got all three running backs catching passes out of the backfield. Hopefully Wallace gives you something. Hopefully Chris Moore can give you something. And of course, they've got a plethora of tight ends there. So. Uh, I still think Flacco can get it done, and I think he's probably the real answer because he's at home and the matchup is is so nice, and he's been playing better lately. You know, I after all that we've just said about Joe Flacco, I don't think you can actually use him in FanDuel Superflex contests because the Saturday slate doesn't include the early game. It starts with the, with the late game there, so that's too bad. But oh wow, okay. yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I think maybe if you had joined a contest today for Monday night into Saturday, you could have got some. Some love for Joe Flacco in, but I guess he's just a guy who we can only look to in our in our seasonal league. So that's too bad. But what what else you got DFS wise for Week 16? Maybe it doesn't have to be quarterback either. Are there any other plays that you're you're really excited about? If you can skew towards FanDuel, that would be helpful. But hey, man, anything you got? If you want to talk up some DraftKings plays you like, uh, I'm sure the listeners would be would be stoked to get any and all uh, information from the great Ben Cummins. What what do you got? Oh, man, way too much props. Um, well, it's still early. I'm still diving in. Uh, I think that there are definitely opportunities for the Falcons and Saints game, kind of like we touched on, the Seahawks and Cowboys game, and maybe the Rams and Titans, but I think probably more so the Seahawks, Cowboys, and Falcons, Saints, for there to be some bonanza potential there if there if there was going to be. It's been a weird year because I do like finding those game stacks, and I just I feel like there haven't been all that many that I've wanted to jump on. But um, Seahawks and Cowboys could be interesting because I think – what we talked, what we talked about with Ezekiel Elliott while we were talking made me think, okay, Dak Prescott is an interesting tournament quarterback this week because we just touched on some guys that we think will be pretty high owned that are interesting fades. And in general, quarterback isn't the position that I'm, um, you know, scared off of ownership the, the most. Um, but, but it does still play a role. And I think that Dak Prescott's probably going to be very low owned because you have the, just the, you know, still the, the aura of the Seahawks passing, uh, defense and Dak Prescott has not been very good lately, but we just told you why the numbers back up Prescott being better with Elliott in the lineup and the Seahawks pass defense is banged up and not playing to the same, um, potential that most people are going to look at it on paper and say, Oh, well, I can't play Dak because he's got the Seahawks and he's been bad. That actually tells me that he could be a very interesting tournament quarterback and you could run it back in that same game because we're not afraid of the Cowboys defense with a Doug Baldwin or somebody like that because he just disappointed last week. And so he should be pretty low owned due to recency bias as well. So that's a game that intrigues me a lot. Um, and then as always, you know, just lock in the guaranteed volume at the running back position, which of course is going to be your Todd Gurley's and your, um, 
Kenyon Drake's if Damian Williams doesn't play again and guys like that. That's the one position. I guess I can just wrap it up with this. The one position where I'm not really afraid of ownership percentage is running back because it just depends on who's available in the slate. And if there's not a lot of great options and you got Gio Bernard like a couple weeks ago as a free square, as, you know, guaranteed volume guy that's, you know, very cheap and it allows you to go get other guys. It doesn't really matter if he's very high owned because running back is such an easy position to predict if you know that they're going to get the touches that where I'm looking to get my contrarian plays the most is at wide receiver because they're just inherently giving in to much more variance. So lock in those, those studs, um, you know, that, you know, are going to get the touches and, and then go from there is, is how I'll, I'll finish it. And I guess actually, because I wanted to talk about this earlier, the other interesting thing about FanDuel's, two quarterbacks, super flex leagues now, is you get the flex. And you haven't been able to do that before on FanDuel. And to me, playing a running back is always going to be my first thought because running backs are more important on FanDuel than DraftKings, the two most important sites, right? Because DraftKings has the full PPR and it has bonuses for 100 plus yards and 300 plus yards and things of that nature. But touchdowns matter more on FanDuel and rushing yards matter more on FanDuel. So my first instinct, if you're getting into these two quarterbacks leagues, is obviously play a quarterback on the Superflex. But if there's a third running back that you love that you can make work, play a running back in the flex as well. That's where I'm going to start here um, and, and see how it goes for me. Yeah, great stuff. I um, Just to dig in a little deeper on those potential game stacks, I, I was doing a little bit of number crunching earlier with just some real basic stuff, like points per game for quarterbacks relative to cost. Uh, and if we... Again, stack up the quarterbacks from the same games. That matchup between Russell Wilson and Dak Prescott, if you take their combined points per game scored this season and you divide it by their combined uh, cost on this particular slate, they easily end up as the you know the highest value per dollar of two quarterbacks that you can start together. And they're both pretty high up there, you know, just on their own account, you know, in terms of uh, points scored per dollar. Uh, so th- that's a really nice opportunity, I think, especially if you can capitalize on the fact that, you know, maybe folks look at what Seattle did to Jared Goff and think, oh, well, now that Zeke's back, Dak Prescott's not going to do anything. Uh, or you can also look at recency bias with Jimmy Graham. Like you said earlier, he disappointed you in week 15. So maybe week 16, it's time to go back to that well and hope that maybe he scores a touchdown or maybe even two. And so if you're stacking him up with Wilson plus Dak Prescott, uh, and maybe taking the guaranteed volume from Z- from Zeke uh, in what might be a shootout because, like you said, both these defenses aren't necessarily the best. This could be a really nice opportunity to gain a lot of value uh, over the competition. A couple other game stacks I want to throw out. Um, we mentioned Case Keenum and his kind of riskiness earlier, as well as Aaron Rodgers' riskiness in, in not playing. But Keenum and Rodgers uh, profiles is another good uh, game to stack up based upon you know, the amount of points they've scored on average versus their cost. And I'm not going to lie, I, while I don't want to use Brett Hundley, the fact that he is going to be so cheap, I, I could see a Hundley-Keenum stack maybe see, being something you could run out there in a cash game. I, I'm not going to feel really good about that. Um, the other one that I do want to go back to is Cam Newton and Jameis Winston. We talked about this already, but they're, they're also very intriguing to me. Um, I'm not so worried about Cam's ownership percentage. I think this might be a situation like you talked about with the running backs where even if you're in a tournament and you expect Cam Newton to be rated really highly, this matchup is so good enough 
that I might be willing to you know, eat the chalk, as they say. Um, yeah. Uh, what, what, do, what do you think about that? Am, am I crazy? Because you were trying to talk me off of cam earlier. Well, I don't think that you're crazy on cam. I just think that there's an ownership percentage argument to be made, but he's cam's in a very good spot. I'm just completely out on the bucks offense. Um, on the road, I think the Panthers pass defense is, is pretty good. It's, it's not great, but I think it's pretty good. And I just, I mean, I'll have to go, uh, you turn on this Monday night football game and see if they give me any reason for optimism. But I don't know, man. I'm just kind of out on Winston and even Evans and all that right now. But again, you hear me say that if you are a believer, then you should be able to get him at somewhat low ownership percentage. And if you think this could, uh, blow up like Greg kind of thinks, then there you go. That's the thought process. And I, uh, back to, uh, Back to Dak, I'm, I'm looking at his price, pretty affordable. You have to kind of scroll down to find him. Yeah. And my guess would be that's the same thing with Jameis here. Um, yeah, yeah, Jameis even more affordable than Dak. So um, reasons to like it there as well because, again, you gotta you got to find a way to save some salary so you can get quarterbacks you like, but you can also get studs at other positions you like too. So there are some definitely uh, a few different uh, game stack options there. And, again, Definitely something that you want to think about because if you hit on on that game and you get both quarterbacks right and you get a pass catcher right or two, you're off in a big way, whether it's basically locking you into cashing or putting you in a position to hit it big in a tournament. And, of course, we want you guys to do that and then, you know, brag about it on Twitter. Yes, sir. Yeah, I just checked in <laughs> on the uh, the the Falcons Bucks game and Winston is up to 177 yards, two passing touchdowns. 16 of 18 completions so he's having a nice game okay uh okay. touchdowns went to mike evans and oj howard so you know maybe this is something again where if you combine you know potential recency bias from this game plus his low cost because it didn't update he was playing on monday night uh he's still locked into that lower lower salary on FanDuel. there's there might be an ownership percentage you know argument against Jameis winston as well and that might be reason enough to avoid game stacking both Winston and Cam, because you combine those two, you know, recency bias convergence factors together, and you're looking at, you know, something that's right. going to be very, <laughs> very popular in week 16. But Ben, man, we've gone super deep. We've gone a lot longer than I anticipated, but I appreciate you sticking through it, man. It's It's been great having you on again. And uh, why don't you let folks know what you've been working on, where they can find you on social media, all that good stuff. Plug away, my friend. Oh man, I had a blast. Always love talking to you. Um, I think we, we did, uh, we hopefully helped, uh, help, help some people out with this new DFS format. And I, I had a lot of fun. Um, at Ben Cummins FF on Twitter. And then I basically narrowed, narrowed down my, uh, my work to, I'm, I'm just kind of sticking to the, uh, the ultimate DFS pass with the fantasy footballers. Um, have had a blast doing the podcast for the, uh, the, this is the first season we're doing it, um, with Mike Wright and Chris Meany and throwing out a lot more, specific plays um as we get closer to the games uh but that's exactly why i loved having these kind of general theories and, and you have to have these thoughts especially when a new format comes out but uh yeah you can find me on that podcast the fantasy footballers dfs podcast and then i do a cash game article a gpp article a stacks article an injury impact article a primetime slate article every week and uh am very excited as we touched on for the playoffs to start um, we'll be doing a lot of stuff there as well. So come find us over at the Fantasy Footballers, and, of course, keep checking out um, Greg and everybody at Two Quarterbacks as well. Appreciate it, man. Well, thanks again. Uh, listeners, if you want to get in touch with the show, I'm on Twitter at Greg Sauce. Uh, the site is on Twitter at 2QBs, and you spell that out, T-W-O-Q-B-S. 
Uh, you spell it out for the email address as well, 2QBs at gmail.com. If you can rate and review the podcast, that's much appreciated. Otherwise, go get those fantasy championships. Go make a bunch of DFS money this weekend in week 16. We'll catch you next time. Adios. Adios.